Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Here you go. Here you go. History. History is the nothing personal word of the day. We are living through history. Every day history is made. Every day history is written. And it's important to take stock. I've spent hours, literally hours, couldn't sleep last night, thinking about this show, thinking about the opportunity that we have right now, right this second, in this world, in this country, in your city, in your state, in your town, in your house, at your table. This is your moment, and I'm not going to let this moment pass. Thank you for listening and downloading Nothing Personal and watching. Thank you to CBS. CBS sent a letter to all of its employees, the CEO and then the chief inclusion officer, and I want to read a quote that ended a letter that was sent to every employee at CBS. History will have to record that the greatest tragedy of this period of social transition was not the strident clamor of the bad people, but the appalling silence of the good people. That's a quote by Martin Luther King Jr. Well, my name is David Sampson, and I will not be silent. The reason that I won't be silent is that I've been given the opportunity to have a platform, whatever size. And I started thinking because of that platform, I have to talk about this. I can't do a nothing personal show that's about the events of the day in sports, on the field, the issues surrounding COVID-19, when sports are starting. How could I possibly pretend and ignore what happened out my own window? The sirens that I heard last night, the protests, the arrests, the looting, I can't ignore it. Spent plenty of time talking to Coca about my feelings, about what needed to be done. And he said to me, before you do anything, you have to make sure to watch the following movie. And I did last night, very late. It was called King in the Wilderness, and I'm going to review it and talk about it because it's a movie that must be seen. But I will not be silent. No matter what anyone says, being white doesn't mean I have to be silent because I've never walked in the shoes of anybody who's a minority. The only minority I was always told is that as a Jew, I was a minority. 
I never felt that way. So therefore, how could I ever understand what anybody feels who isn't as fortunate as I've always been? And that doesn't just mean economically. It means living in a, in a, in a world where I was in a bubble constantly. I grew up in New York City. I was aware of poverty. I was aware of racism. I was aware of problems that people had and issues, societal issues, deeply ingrained issues. But I just lived my very best life as best I could, stepping over landmines in order to get to the other side, never being able to get to the other side because there is no other side. It's just a continuing process. So why would I take this opportunity to talk to you about where my head is and how much my heart hurts? Do I even have the credibility to you, the audience? And then I realized I do. Do you know why? Because you do too. Every single person in this country has a platform. Maybe your platform is one person, your significant other. Maybe it's your sibling. Maybe it's your parent. Maybe it's your friend. Maybe you have a platform because you have a lot of friends on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or Twitch or Twitter. Maybe your platform is not dependent on numbers. Maybe your platform is dependent on a view and on understanding the importance of history and your role in it. I've told people from the beginning that my time in baseball, I was really just holding a baton temporarily for the next team president, the next ownership group, the next group of players. I took it from the previous ownership, the previous president, the previous group of players, never believing that my time was anything other than temporary. And that's the case for all of us. Whether you die at 39, 49, 52, 82, or 120, the reality is, it's not the amount of years that we live. It's what you do with the time you have. That's the legacy. We've spoken on nothing personal about legacy of players and owners and teams. And we've recognized that you write your legacy every day until you die. And the best, smartest people, and I don't mean because of what your SAT score is. I don't mean your level of education. I'm talking about recognizing your place in history. The smartest people recognize their own place. It doesn't matter the length of your stay on earth. It matters what you do. Every minute is another minute to change. I have it on my Twitter and my profile. I have it on my body. A quote that simply says this. Tomorrow the sun will rise. Who knows what the tide could bring? Yes, that's from Castaway. The tide brought Tom Hanks a sail and he could escape his island. But think about that. I was thinking about it last night. Every day is a new day. Every moment is a moment to take stock in the way you view the world. Everybody in the sports industry right now is calling for change. They're forming committees. They're releasing statements. Why is it that all of that is necessary? What if everyone just changed in the micro sense of the word? What if people stopped seeing color and saw purpose? What if people stopped seeing money and saw passion or emotion or love or understanding? What would be so wrong 
with talking truth about what's happening in the world today. And I'm going to raise my hand and start because I will not be part of the appalling silence of the good people. I give money to charity. We do it here on the show. Is it out of guilt of what I have? Is it out of desire to make change, to make the world better? Is it because I was taught charity? None of that really matters. It matters that I believe in people and I believe in opportunity. What I don't believe is in people taking advantage of the wrong opportunity, knowing it's wrong. People know the difference between right and wrong. So what makes people act wrongly? Every minute you have a choice, every day. I was thinking about the number of choices we all make, hundreds a day. What are we doing for dinner? What am I going to respond to this person? Am I going to like that post? How am I going to interact with family, with friends? Hundreds of choices. Every choice you make defines you at the end of the day, but every day you can change your legacy and change your approach. You know what's right and you know what's wrong. When I hear sirens and I see that there's looting and that there's violence, do those people understand that what they're doing is wrong or to them, is it actually right? Because they've been stepped on and kneeled on for so long, for so many generations, that that is their definition of right? Is my right better than theirs? Does my right make it that theirs is wrong? Or does their right make it that my right is wrong? Can two different approaches to the same set of circumstances both be right? Now, that's the crux of the issue. I believe the way I'm handling this right now is right. The people who are protesting around the country believe the way they are protesting is right. So what's the solution? People are trying to come up with broad range solutions. People are trying to explain what's happening and how it's going to be different. What will it take to actually effectuate change? The movie's called King in the Wilderness, and it's about the last years of Martin Luther King Jr.'s life. I always felt connected to Martin Luther King, and I never knew why. And it had nothing to do with race. It had nothing to do with his role. It had to do with the year that he died was the year I was born. 1968, April 4th. I was born February 26, 1968. Still in diapers when he was assassinated in Memphis, Tennessee. The movie King in the Wilderness goes through the protests, the angst that Martin Luther King felt, the pull that he felt away from his family, including the final trip he took to Memphis when he was told that by his kids how much they missed him. But the pull to go to Memphis where there was a sanitation strike was so strong that he simply could not resist. The movie goes through not really just the assassination because that's not who Martin Luther King is or how he's defined. It explains his view of nonviolence and his understanding that in order 
to change the way blacks are treated. They have got to start at the bottom, not the top. And I don't mean the bottom of the economic chain. I mean the bottom of why racism exists. Why racial profiling and discrimination? Where does it start? Where does it come from? Why is there looting and violence and riots like there were in 1968? And have been going on since, including 1992. Do you know that my view, and I'm just going to say it because I'm, uh, I'm not going to be silent. There's a song by Sublime called April 25th, 1992. There was a riot on the streets. Tell me, where were you? You were home watching your TV while I was participating in some anarchy. I'm doing this by memory. I think I'm close. The first stop we hit was the liquor shop. Finally got all that alcohol I couldn't afford. It talked about looting. And I would play that song all the time. It was on my playlist while I would run marathons, oblivious to understanding anything other than the entertainment value of it, knowing that it doesn't happen in my back neighborhood. It doesn't happen in my home. And then it occurred to me when I listened to the song again after watching King in the Wilderness, which was 19, those were 1992, those riots, that the continued trend hasn't stopped. Does that mean that Martin Luther King's life has been in vain? Because he died at 39 years old and he died. He's not most famous for the I have a dream speech, except for people like me who didn't understand anything about him. I went to a great high school college, law school. I viewed Martin Luther King as a holiday, a Monday off in January. Hey, let's go away for the long weekend. Didn't take the time to educate myself, my family, my friends. It doesn't mean I lived a bad life. It doesn't mean that I'm racist. It doesn't mean that I don't understand. It means that I was clueless about Martin Luther King and what his point was. And I watched this movie and I finally figured it out. His point, almost as though he knew that he were going to be assassinated and that he had a very short time, that he was temporarily holding a baton and that it was incumbent upon all men to figure out, all men and women, to figure out this change that's needed. One of the most telling parts of the movie is the Reverend Jesse Jackson After Martin Luther King died, he had a call, Coretta, tell her she was a widow. Andrew Young thought that they would continue what Martin Luther King had started or was continuing. And Andrew Young looked right in the camera and said, after Martin Luther King died, was killed, was murdered, there there were fractures in our group. It didn't continue the way it would have under Martin Luther King. And he meant that to mean that it was negative that it fractured, that it hurt the cause, and it did. And it got me thinking what fractures can do. And I thought about when glass breaks and you get a spider web-like crack in that glass. And some people view that negatively because if it spiders enough, cracks enough, that windshield, that 
pane of glass will break. Well, let's turn that around and say, if it continues to spider out and crack, then it's touching more part of the windshield or the pane of glass. And eventually it will be touched by everyone. And that's where we are now. This touches all of us. I want to be part of the solution. And the way I am part of the solution is by telling you that I will no longer stand by and blame people for their lot in life that they did not have a say in. I'm very judgmental about people who have a lot in life and it was their choice. And then they complain about it. But I never really occurred to me what the difference was. And in the movie King in the Wilderness, there's another quote after Martin Luther King Jr. died and he was nonviolent following Gandhi. And I've talked about nonviolent protesting and I still believe in nonviolent protesting the right to protest and demonstrate and march. I do not believe there is a right for violence. Either direction. One of Martin Luther King's closest associates told her children and then other young men and women right after he was assassinated and said, please, her first thought was, please do not engage in violent protesting. We must honor Martin Luther King, the reverend, through nonviolent demonstration. And several young boys said to her, after she had said, don't be violent, it will ruin your future. And they said, future? I don't have a future. I'm not going to live a long life. And her response was silence. That's the issue. If you take hope away from people, then they believe their legacy is already written and there's nothing they can do. They don't believe that there is a, any way out. They can look to successful movie stars or athletes. It's unattainable. You can't grow up and be Michael Jordan. You can't grow up and be Robert Johnson. It doesn't mean you can't try, but it means that you have to understand that if you don't have the hope to grow up and just be you and the best you you can be, then you're going to resort to crime and violence. I fought this within myself for years, having athletes as role models, teaching kids and giving time and money to youth sports, play sports, be like Giancarlo Stanton, knowing very well that the odds were de minimis, infinitesimal, that anyone would grow up to be and have the talent of Giancarlo Stanton. Why not teach kids right now how to be adults, knowing that there are myriad ways to live your life where your moral compass is straight and you choose right over wrong. The minute a child believes that the only choice is the choice of no tomorrow, there will never be change. I talked about the NFL and the minority Rooney rule that they wanted to change draft picks. And I said, how about education? 
Let's take $10 million from every sale of a team and pour it into education. Teach children of every color. Teach them to be right. Teach them to believe that they have an opportunity or a chance. Teach them. All Martin Luther King Jr. wanted to do was teach. Later in his life, right before he died, later in his life, he lived 39 years. Later in his life, he realized that attacking poverty was going to be a critical part of teaching kids that tomorrow can happen. When you're living in squalor and poverty, when you have no food in your refrigerator, you have no idea where your meal's going to come from, forget becoming a professional athlete. You don't know how to eat because you can't get food. He got white people together, Native Americans, Latinos, blacks, got them together to try and solve the poverty issue, to bring attention to the poverty issue. It was during those talks and those meetings that he got a call to go to Memphis on what would become his final trip that there was a sanitation strike because workers were not being paid enough and they had a protest. They wanted to be treated with dignity. How people treat people is why we are where we are right now. A policeman kneeling, a white policeman kneeling on a black man, asphyxiating him until he dies, George Floyd, the latest in a long list, and it's not ending. That's the problem of men who died who didn't have to, black men who died who didn't have to. Does it mean that every police officer is bad? No. Does it mean that every black person is good? No. Does it mean that every white person is good? No. There is no world where everybody is good, but there is a world where everybody knows the difference and believes that they have the ability to choose, and then it's on us. As a sports executive, we talk about our clubhouse and how we want to have an area where the veteran players can teach the younger players how to be professional, how to be a baseball player. We talk to the veteran players every year about this. They don't care about the team owner, the team president, the manager, the coaches. They're looking at you. The way you act is how they'll act. The way you talk is how they'll talk. The way you're involved is how they'll be involved. You've walked the steps that they desperately want to walk. And if you're negative, if you're angry, if you're bitter, that's how they're going to be because they don't think that there's another way to be. Why is that just in a clubhouse? Your platform should be your clubhouse. However big your platform is, that's how to use it. I don't do the ML Beard Challenge because I like having hair in my face or a beard on my face. I do it because it's a way to draw attention to what I'm doing for charity, not because I want accolades, because I want people to be able to choose to try to make a difference in any way they can. If enough people make a small difference, it adds up to a large difference. That's always the point, isn't it? It's my water and wine story.
This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Leagues right now are taking the opportunity to make statements. The NFL was completely tone deaf in their statement. But I understand why they were trying to do what they were doing. Same day as the NFL put out a statement, which was ridiculous, an NFL executive pointed out Colin Kaepernick was never signed because he was bad for business. I told you that on nothing personal, why Kaepernick wasn't signed. I told you the mentality of owners. That doesn't make every owner a racist. It makes every owner a businessman. So what exactly is wrong with what the owners did to Colin Kaepernick. What's wrong is they weren't honest enough to say why they were doing it, blaming it on football skills or the fact that he was kneeling, misunderstanding that the kneeling had to do with the anthem. It never had to do with the anthem. It had to do with this exact issue that we're facing now. Black lives matter because people are so frustrated for generations before Martin Luther King was assassinated, before Martin Luther King was born, generations of being kneeled on by people who didn't know the difference and didn't care to learn. We can change it now. What if this is the moment I was thinking early this morning? I find myself thinking that a lot when bad things happen. Maybe this will be the last time. Maybe there won't be any more riots. There won't be any more violence. There won't be any more senseless shooting, killing, burglary. Maybe this is the moment. Maybe this is the moment that baseball players and other athletes will stand up. And then Michael Jordan actually stood up and did his own statement saying he'd had enough. Something that we just watched in the last dance he was never willing to do. But he finally said, this is it. Step one is saying this is it. Step two is making those words matter. Because while black lives matter, words matter. It's not about statements. It's about words and then the actions that follow. Baseball players have stood up. There's been no statement of any kind from baseball very insulated, involved in their negotiations. Not a huge African-American following in baseball, as opposed to the NBA, who is being a leader right now. Adam Silver's letter 
and forming committees trying to effectuate that change. Huge African-American fan base and obviously the makeup of the league. NFL, same. But baseball isn't that way. Does that mean that players should be quiet? But they're not. Finally, they're not. Giancarlo Stanton came out, and I've known him since he was drafted, trying to understand his role as a budding superstar. I watched him take a leadership position when Jose Fernandez died and what he did in that clubhouse, and I knew that was the moment that his life changed. Not because he lost a good friend, because he realized that he had a platform and he had to use it. He tweeted that enough is enough. It's going to take everyone to help this system change, no matter your color or attributes. We are all human who know what's right deep down. He and I couldn't be more different. Part of our friendship is the fact that we were willing to talk about those differences. I was willing to tell him that I didn't know about his life, that he didn't know about my life. And let's see how we meet in the middle. And we spent years talking about it, building a relationship. And the reason I'm so happy that he's coming out and being active, and he's always been charitable, but there's a difference. I used to mistake charity for being active. And then as I got older, I realized charity is just one component. Active is when every day, every moment, you do things differently. After the latest murder that took place of the jogger, and I didn't write the name down, and and please, I apologize, Coca. My mind is completely all over the place in terms of what I'm trying to accomplish. I believe that it was uh, Arbery was his last name. I started changing a few things. Normally, when I run, I am quiet, and I started changing And ever since then, whenever I run, I say good morning to everyone. Latinos, blacks, whites. And I'm taken by the response I get back. Often it's nothing. Sometimes it's a strange look. Sometimes it's a good morning. And I try to guess in advance who's going to respond to me and who's not. And I was wondering, is it by color? Is it by speed? Is it by distance? And then I realized what it is, actually. It was fear. People are scared right now. They're scared to engage. They're scared to say or do the wrong thing. Social media is the type of place. The world has become a type of place where one wrong word, one wrong piece of video, and that's it. You can't come back. Everyone needs to be more careful. And so by being more careful, they're choosing to disengage. And when they do engage, they're doing it in a way that's not full. The reason why I want to engage fully is that I'm willing to take the risk. I'm willing every day to give you 45 minutes of unscripted, nothing personal, knowing that one day I will say something wrong. And it won't be based on racism or sexism. 
It'll be based on upsetting the people who are paying me to do what I do and shining a light on them that they don't want shown. But from my standpoint, isn't that the most important part of having your platform, whether it's one person, 50,000 or 50 million? What are you doing right now? Let's start at the top and go down. Take a look at our president and go all the way down to your next door neighbor. How are they reacting to what's happening now? And then formulate how you would react and then react. Do it instead of talking about it. Players have a critical role in being role models and in racial relations, white players, black players, Latin players, they're standing up. Will it matter? Sports standing up, forming committees. Will it matter? Owners deciding who they're going to pay, who they're not going to pay during the pandemic. Will it matter? Matter is an interesting word. We're seeing it a lot with Black Lives Matter. Will it matter? Here's how things matter. When you have behaviors that are no longer premeditated, but just happen naturally, it matters because you have made yourself into the person who knows right from wrong. No matter what situation is in front of you, no matter the anger, the hatred, no matter how upset you are, no matter how much you've been wronged or your ancestors or your people. As a Jewish person, I'm very aware of what happened to, with the Germans and Hitler with the Holocaust. Six million Jews died. Six million. It was only recently that the Jewish population was able to attain the level at which it was prior to the cleansing that Hitler did. I remember growing up thinking, I hate Germany and Germans because I was taught what Germans had done in Germany. And so that was my behavior. That was in my head. I looked at anti-Semites. I looked at Nazis. Skinheads. And I generalized. They're all bad. They all want to hurt Jews. Just like some black people look at all white people and think the same thing. Some white people look at all black people and sense fear or have implicit bias and feel implicit discrimination. You can stop now. I told you the story of when I was mugged when I was 18 years old by four young men who were black. They ran and I heard their footsteps behind me. I still hear footsteps. And when I do, I'm still scared to this day. And it's been 34 years. When the police came, they asked what had been taken. And I said, my winter jacket. And they said, that's normal. This time of year, it's Christmas. They're stealing your winter jacket to give it as a Christmas gift to their family. I was 18 at the time, and it didn't matter to me. What mattered is how scared and violated I felt. 
But over time, what matters to me changed. And what I wished they had done is known to ask, to reach out. I had never been mugged before. I had been taught to be careful, not walk on side streets, not about black people or white people. There were gangs in New York, the gangs of New York when I was growing up, the 82nd Street Gang. Don't walk on 82nd Street. What happens if those same four young men had come up to me and said, we have nothing to wear and it's winter and we want to give a Christmas gift. Would you give me your coat? And I was thinking to myself as the years passed, how I would have reacted as an 18-year-old. Would I have had the same level of fear? What if they were dressed in a suit and tie versus casual clothes, sweatshirt and sweatpants? What bias have I been taught or that I have where dress code matters or the color of skin matters or the sound of footsteps running at you matters? How do I change my visceral gut reaction to a circumstance where my antennas go up? And I was able to, and I'm still not perfect. But I realized it matters that you don't judge a book by its cover. We talk about this on Nothing Personal all the time. You don't judge a book by its cover. There are bad white people, there are bad black people, there are bad German people, but there are good black people and good white people and good German people. And don't judge until they manifest their own beliefs of right versus wrong. And then we get to, once they do manifest it, and it is wrong because they don't ask and they steal your coat, or because they protest violently because someone was wronged and it's been going on for generations, do we still judge? Spent a lot of time thinking about that concept last night. Am I judging all of these kids, adults, white, black, for what they're doing right now in my community and yours? Do I judge J.R. Smith for beating up someone who broke his car window? Do I judge the kid who broke the car window? And the answer is I'm not judging anyone until I understand why they made the decision they made. My goal is to get to the bottom of understanding why people do what they do. And I don't mean by studying sociology. I mean by actually talking and asking. If I had an opportunity, I would say to that police officer in Minneapolis, why? Why did you feel that you had to kneel on Mr. Floyd until he died and he told you he couldn't breathe? What made you do that? I would ask the other officers, what made you not stop it? I would ask the people filming it, what made you not call 911? or find anyone to try to stop what was happening? Did you feel you couldn't? You couldn't fight power without being violent. Maybe this is the best way to have done it, was to video it. Maybe the fact that everyone has cameras is going to be the start of something new and different. Maybe it'll lead to more accountability. If you are accountable as an individual, 
and everyone on your pain that is spidered and cracked is accountable as individuals. We have a chance. It's not going to take committees. It's going to take opportunity, education, and people believing that they matter. Baseball is a game of adjustments. Nothing personal is a game of adjustments. I'm going to adjust. I'm going to adjust what I do on the show. I'm going to adjust what I do during life because I'm always changing. I'm always evolving. We've been giving away $1,000 a day to organizations helping people impacted by COVID. And there are hundreds and thousands of organizations helping millions, tens of millions of people who believe that their lives may not matter because their jobs were taken away or furloughed. Today is day 78 of the ML Beard Challenge. Saturday was 76, and I'm doing $1,000 to Broadway Cares. Broadway Cares is an organization taking care of employees, people in theaters, and those impacted by the fact that there is no more work on Broadway. Day 77 was Sunday. Before I started thinking about this show and watching and listening right where I live to the violence and the anger and the despair. Day 77 was $1,000 to something called the Bridgehampton Child Care and Rec Center. That's in Bridgehampton, Long Island. Full disclosure, my mother is on the advisory board. My mother who taught me everything I know about what it means to be as good a person as you can be. Didn't listen to all of her lessons. Couldn't understand all of her lessons. Dismissed some of them. As I've gotten older, she always would say, I hope I live long enough to see my lessons manifest themselves through you. Well, she's on the board of this organization, Bridgehampton Child Care and Rec Center. There are so many children suffering in a place where there is so much wealth. People associate the Hamptons with the big summer parties, the big homes, the billionaires, the millionaires. But there's a level of poverty in the Hamptons. People who live there, immigrants, those who just feel as though they don't matter. Day 77 is for those kids. But today is day 78, and today we change. For the next 22 days, I'm not going to do any more organizations for people impacted by COVID, even though it is very real, the suffering that's happening. But I want to switch now to do the final 23 days for organizations which focus on racial relations and equality. I thought about doing it and I was concerned because very often in my life, events happen. There is a need for money and attention 
It happens when there are earthquakes or hurricanes. Donate Hurricane Katrina. Hurricane Andrew here in Miami. People give money, they give time, they give attention, and then they move on to the next thing, except the people impacted still have to live with their everyday reality. So I struggled with this because just because I'm not giving 23 more thousand dollars to COVID related organizations doesn't mean I've forgotten at all. Your lives matter to me. The position you're in matters. The reason I wanted to change is I wanted to make it clear that today is different. I don't want today to be like 1968 was or like 1992 or like any other of the years, every year up to this year. Let's all dare to be different today. And I'm starting. The first organization is the Jackie Robinson Foundation. The Jackie Robinson Foundation is a national organization founded actually by Rachel Robinson in 1973. That's his widow. I've had the honor of meeting her. It's used to, and I've discussed it on Nothing Personal, it's used to teach people about Jackie Robinson and what he experienced. And it advocates for young people who have great need. It assists minority youth in getting scholarships for higher education. And that is exactly, exactly what I wanted to point out today and end the show talking about. There are people who have tried to make a difference, who have tried, and they will keep trying. But we need your help. And it's not about money. It's about trying as hard as you can. So let this be the end. Let's show Martin Luther King Jr. that he was wrong, that we're not temporarily holding the baton, that we can end racial inequality, that we can end implicit bias and racism. It starts with you. It starts with me. My name is David Sampson, and I will not be silent anymore. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.